Because you know why? Why? Because it feels right. It feels right. Legendary. Uh, B. That's the middle. That's, that's the middle. <laughs> B and B and E, right? B, well, unless, unless, unless you're on a, a little plane, and then and then yeah. it could. Well, then there's only two, so there is no middle. There you go. That's right. Yeah, those those are the better ones. Welcome, Robert. We have a lot it. to talk about. We have a lot to talk about. Is this our first podcast of 2024? I believe it is. Well, happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year, Adam. Happy New Year. We got some. I like these. We made we some it. Nice lo- logos and stuff on our background. I like that. That's just you know modern contemporary art. You're welcome, Ro- Robert. I think you were ready to go yesterday because I think you had a gallon of coffee and got freaky on Twitter. That's what I noticed. <laughs> As you <laughs> saw like 10, 10 posts for you, I had too much baby crap going on, but I was like, this man is caffeinated and he is talking to the people about pickle right now. I'll tell you what, when uh, when you get going on Twitter, it's kind of fun. So, oh yeah, yeah. It's, I I hardly even go on the other ones now. Uh, I I try to manage my social media, but you can get carried away on Twitter and get get stuck scrolling. That's for sure. Uh, let's talk about social media just for a second because I think Twitter is just an underutilized platform for pickleball. I think there's so much on Instagram of like, and it's all the same stuff. It's all the same highlight reels and and highlight shots and. And it's just, it's repetitive. It's pretty boring. It doesn't get me engaged. And I'd rather, I'd rather read stuff that people say on Twitter. It's just, yeah, I'd, I'd rather chat too. Uh, I, I dip my toe in that water occasionally, but I, I, oh, I like, I get, like when you get on the Twitter. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's, it just depends. Uh, but I, I think I might do it a bit more as well because yeah, the Instagram stuff is garbage. I mean, the only thing, the only reason you want to go on there is to watch a couple of good points and I'm commentating the event. I've already seen them. So like, yeah. it's thanking a couple sponsors, good vibes from the crowd. Can't wait for the next one. Uh, you know, as, as someone who's locked into the pickleball community, that's, that's pretty much garbage to me. Maybe a yeah. casual fan. That's, it's much more important to. And on Twitter, it's perfect for like short quips, which you're excellent at. Uh, well, yeah, well, I, I would say Robert, that I'm a distant number two to you as you got to have the witty, the witty quips. Uh, what Gartman never answered you. (laughs) I mean, he, he, he put some detailed stat on there and you said, you're not censored my big pickle anymore and no response. Maybe, maybe you froze, you froze him out again. (laughs) I'm sorry, Joshua. I'm sorry. Come back. Come back. If they let you come back, come back, please. We like your stats. It's, it's good. I don't. I don't want to dig. I don't want to dig deep for those. If Gartman's doing it, that's that's all good. No, super fun to like when he was when he was in the thick of it all last year, uh, like posting real time stats and tournaments and stuff. I was like, this is fantastic because nobody else is nobody else is doing it. Somebody else. If if it's not going to be you, Joshua, if Big Pickles got you in a room somewhere, blink twice. But um, let's get somebody else on it then. Yeah, uh, I I mean, there's there's always someone else coming up. So you, you, we we've talked about how the the randoms are in prominent positions. So all you all you nerds out there, numbers guys, throw us some stats. Maybe you'll get a job. I mean, it is wild. We talk about this, Adam. It's like like you just you post for a you post for a month and then you have a GM job. <laughs> it's 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 something else. Well, I mean, and it's, I mean, these, these people or half of them paid $400,000 to be in premier. It's, it's, it's 
I mean, it's if they're going to pay four hundred thousand to get in Premier, and they can pay fifty grand or less for a, a well-connected coach or GM <laughs> or or somebody like that, they're. I mean, they should be doing it if you think about the percentages and the money that they're spending. So, uh, yeah, come on, come on, come on. All right, big. Uh, speaking, we had a yeah. Uh, you can't say start, no, no. Go, 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 go. I, go. I, would, I was just going to start it off with uh, you can you can hear the tone of my voice. The MLP draft pushed pushed back again. Uh, mm -hmm. Things seem to be on track for a merger, but as things get pushed back or delayed, uh, it doesn't make you feel warm and fuzzy inside necessarily about everything. So uh, yeah. I believe the 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 date now is end of January. Uh, and Robert, I believe that there is an event, uh, scheduled for Los Angeles on February 7th. So, uh, things are getting really squeezed and tight with some of the timelines. Uh, and it makes me a, a little bit worried. Yeah. And it's not just, it's not just that it's that all of the MLP sign players that haven't signed a, haven't a new agreement, my knowledge, like they were, what they told me is that they're stopping all contract talks until after the merger is complete, which means, you know, I think to my knowledge, they have a hundred, hundred odd contracts that need to be renegotiated and signed and countersigned. And, and that, you know, let's, let's say the merger happens optimistically call it January 27th, right? Your first event in LA for the 12 Challenger teams, I believe, is the February 8th weekend, February 7th, 8th, something like that. Um, so we're supposed to have 100 of these contracts signed and countersigned, terms agreed to, um, have the draft so players know if they actually have to be in LA and have all of this worked out, but like in such a tight window. Yeah, not optimistic with that. Um, I think, I think it's, yeah, I think it's even at this point, I think it's unreasonable to have the event in L.A. Uh, based on players not knowing if they're having to travel in what, like three weeks now, less than three weeks. So, yeah, not yeah. Somebody that has a has a side contract, I'm not feeling too, I don't know, optimistic and pumped and yeah. happy that this is all happening, but. Yeah, and that's and that that's player perspective, and which people care much more about uh, uh, than brass, which I guess I am now. Uh, but it's tough here too, you know, with kind of figuring out a draft, uh, thinking about strategy, and and, and possibly drafting. And uh, the SoCal Hard Eights are in Challenger, and that's the first event. And you know, that's that's a possibility of six roster spots. So not only the four playing, but uh, maybe some upside picks or single specialist or whatever. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a lot of research into a player pool that is uh, deeper and deeper. And even someone who is very involved as, as, as a commentator and a fan uh, like I am, that, that's a lot of players to know about and who's going to make those jumps and those leaps and who you want on your squad. So it's, it's, it's squeezed for sure. There's no question about it. Yeah. And player pool is a good point because I think that's also a big question right now. And I think that's some of the, some of the stuff that's trying to be worked out in terms of the merger is these PPA players have, um, have contracts that don't state that they need to play eight MLP events or MLP events at all. It says team-based events, and I think it's listed at six. 
So, you know, right now the MLP season is eight events with one, you know, one additional nine, if you're in the playoffs or you make it. So for these PPA players that, you know, one, don't want to play MLP or two have to, but definitely don't want to play more than their <clears throat> contractual amount. Will they, uh, yeah. What's that look like in terms of draft? Like who's, yeah. Are you going to draft, uh, are you going to draft somebody, um, that only has six events in their contract? Yeah, no, it's, it's scary. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, I can't imagine that it's not cleaned up before something gets done, but it, it's, yeah, it's, it's a wild situation right now. And the, the, this is, this is guaranteed money and this is contract stuff. Of course, the, the players want to play less and the PPA players as well. So does, does, if you do go from that six to the nine, do you have to squeeze out three PPAs? Do you just add two? Uh, the events that you're already playing with the contract that you have signed with the PPA. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not exactly sure, but either way it's, it's uh, yeah, it's some things, some dominoes need to fall so we, we can figure out what's possibly going to happen here. What's, what's really wild, Adam, is that, you know, from, from everything I've heard, I don't know the details, but from whatever, from everything I've heard is that, it's a, uh, it's, it's not a very favorable deal for team owners. Uh, MLP less, team owners. less and less. Yeah. Less and less. Uh, it seems to, yeah, just get something gets, gets pulled back or something needs to be changed or uh, maybe yeah. there was some form of possible uh, deal not signed met and then the terms possibly change. So uh, yeah. I, I kind of the vibe that I've gotten as well is that it is, slowly been worse and worse for MLP owners. And that is absolute hearsay, but that's, that's what I'm hearing. But pretty wild to think that you can, you can be getting the worst side of the deal merging with this entity. And not only that, but you don't even get access to their players for all of your events. It's, it's, it's an issue. Yeah. I, I, I just don't like what can happen. Like I, I, I don't get it in terms of how can you draft these players that could possibly not play all your events. And I don't know if you bake that into their price and their cost on draft day, uh, but it, it's it, something has to get get figured out with, with that. And yeah, if, if, if it's just a partial deal, that that is going to make the draft even more uh, of, of a wild situation when it's, it's already going to be hard enough to value these players getting better so quickly. Not only that, you have an auction draft in the uh, in the premier level, and then you have to bake in possibly some players not playing the all of them and some players who, even though they don't have to contractually do it, are willing to do that. You you have to have all the information on the table or you're going to make a bad decision out there. Yeah. And one thing I'd like to see just in general is I, I hate this idea of, let's say a player only plays six, you have three other events to play, uh, but that person's not going to play it. I hate the idea of like grabbing somebody from a general player pool or from a challenger person that's already been eliminated uh their team like i think these teams should come equipped with a reserve um i i like yeah i think i think all the teams should probably have six players then you have you have a reserve on your on the men's and women's side for both you can put somebody in for singles you can put somebody in for mixed if you want to um and then you have like a real unit and you're not and then you're being able to you're being able to 
pool reserves that you, you know, that are, that you've been training with and that's on your team and versus just pulling from a, like a general population player pool, which just so seems weird. What, what, what does that do to challenger though? How can you do that in premier? Uh, I mean, I get, I know that there's, there's, there's going to be events where all the teams are there and then there's going to be a lot of events where it's just challenger or just premier. So I, 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 yeah, but I mean, if you, if you make the, premier teams deeper what exactly does that do to challenger I, I guess maybe they could only play when it's a premier only or what exactly do you mean how I, does that work well i, I mean I, it just thins it just thins challenger even more is what i'm saying so if you have six yeah. like 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 ha, i mean obviously your fifth and sixth player or most likely if not always as a premier team going to be challenger level players, if they're just on your roster, not playing, how can they play in the challenger events when all the teams or the mixed tournaments were both challenger and premier there? They wouldn't be uh, on challenge. They wouldn't be on challenger teams. They'd just be on premier teams. They would just be on premier teams. But I mean, man, that dilutes the challenger player pool aggressively. Uh, Maybe. To, it, I think, it, I, I don't know, dude, I, I play with like, even being down here, I'm in Naples right now. There's dude, there's, there's dudes I'm like practicing with down here that are just as good as any challenger player. Dudes, like, dudes, dudes. That's a big factor. Also, yeah, so, I think it's so less so on the women's side, less so on the women's side for sure. Um, but I think even, even looking at these draws, PPA and APP, I mean, women like a year ago, two years ago, you were having five or six teams in these women's draws. Now there's now APP this weekend has a significant qualifier. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if the PPA has the same, but I mean, there's, we're talking, there has to be 40 plus women's teams signed up. I mean, the depth, the depth as we see is like, it's, it's, it's getting stronger and deeper exponentially every single year. So I don't see it being a huge issue in terms of finding you. the, and finding I the depth. And I got some numbers for you in the in the APP men's between main draw and challenger for Punta Gorda coming up this weekend, 66 teams. And at the PPA last weekend that I was commentating, I was going to do some notes because I was the afternoon session. I go out there. There is a bank of four courts, four play in matches for the females. I believe I knew five or six of the 16. You got four matches of doubles. You got 16 players. I knew five or six of the of the 16 women. And they're all like, now I'm older, so it's harder for me uh, in my old age. But they looked like college age girls. So these are younger, athletic, kind of uh, talented girls kind of coming into the sport. And I don't even know who they are. That absolutely bodes well for the depth uh, of the players and they they weren't bad they weren't just out here missing every every other ball they they had some very quality points and and, and some good talent so uh yeah it's it, it's coming for sure uh yeah. and to touch on that again at the ppa some of these play in men's singles matches were obscene i mean these guys are hitting bb's they are physically imposing six three random guys i've never seen before so they're, they're, they're coming. They're coming yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I think it's, it's great for the sport. You know, I think there's a lot of talk about tennis players coming over and pickle, pickleball players not happy. No, like not, not anybody I know. I think it's, I think the more we have that come over, the better, the, you know, the higher, the higher the quality, it pushes everybody's game up. It increases competition. It's just, it's better for, it's better for the sport. 
It's just you have you have to get better. Yeah, so I guess we got slightly off track there, but uh, but yeah, they, it, how I mean, how they how they construct these teams and and, and the the situation with the possible extra players, uh, yeah, the the player pool and how deep you have to grab into it is going to be such a huge factor for this MLP draft, and uh, we'll see what they come up with. I know they got a lot of a lot of smart guys and gals out there trying to make it work. I know there's a lot of moving parts, but it's uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting, and it's going to be a big factor for the for the players and, and the uh, the team owners and GMs drafting uh, their squads. Yeah, I mean, I know our last podcast we talked about having a lot of questions, not a lot of answers. I mean, I think it's not <laughs> still not there, so, still not so different. Not, not so different. Maybe maybe we can just sprinkle in one or two answers on the fifty questions. Yeah. Uh, that that's going to be enough. That's about all we're going to be able to do. So wait, you okay? So you are telling me that there was a situation where Vivian Glosman was supposed to be playing the APP. Punta Gorda coming up and she was unable to do so from a contract situation. I think from a permission situation, I heard, I heard that a league tour organization um, did not grant her permission to play it, I suppose. Okay. And her fill in is Georgia Johnson. Yeah. So she was, so Vivian was supposed to play with Paris Todd and women's doubles and Yates Johnson and mixed. And now just looking at the draw or uh, the entrance, you have Georgia Johnson filling in and playing with Yates and Paris. So, and they're both MLP. They both signed MLP, correct? Interesting. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I as far I, as, I, as far as I know, maybe, maybe Vivian signed a new contract and that restricts her. I don't know. Gotcha. Okay. Um, Interesting. Yeah. But, but def I, definitely I, and, interesting. I mean, yeah, for off the top of my head, I mean, they both signed MLP and, and, you know, that was a while ago. So, of course, things could have happened since then uh, from a contract perspective. But uh, that it, it's not maybe not necessarily that she can't play. It's who's filling in for that. That is that is interesting to me, you know? No, totally. I think. Um, yeah. Of the players that you want to if you know, if you're paying somebody a ton of money that you want to keep and your league, it would, you know, it'd probably be Georgia. Do you know who, uh, do you know who Will Howells is? Yeah. He plays a lot of the APPs played him a lot of times. Yeah. He's, uh, he's, he's, I just saw him partner partnering with CJ Klinger here and mm -hmm. I, I rec, I recognize the name, but I, I, I don't know much about him. Yeah. He, he down in like the Delray Boca area mm -hmm. and yeah, he played. I think he played tennis at Notre Dame. He's a solid player. He's a good player. So the, the, here's a question for you. Now, I I obviously should know this uh, as a <laughs> MLP GM, uh, but what what is the situation for players that signed nothing? You play APPs. You play all twelve, and if you win, if you get to the quarterfinals, you're making money. Like, okay, and what what is players that have signed nothing and their availability? for the MLP draft. Do you know anything about that? Yeah. From what I've heard for 2024 anyways, is that, is that you have to be a signed player to be eligible for the draft pool, which meh, I don't know. I get it because you, you know, you're paying these people money and you want them to, they need to be on a team. Right. But like, if you have a great player that's unsigned, like 
they should be eligible for a team. They should be eligible to, you know, to, to, to get a contract. If, if they get drafted, they're obviously good enough to be on contract. So, um, yeah, I know there's not more money to spend on player contracts. We're trying to spend less money, but at the same time, it, it limits the emerging, it limits the emerging talent. And I think, you know, it's a disservice it, to the league. John, I mean, just, just, you know, being at the, at the PPA this past weekend, I, I can think of two handfuls of players that are not signed that I, you know, I'm, I'm, fairly excited about or or absolutely are on my radar for a possible you know maybe not a first or second round uh challenger situation but absolutely at the back half of that draft so yep. uh that especially I'll with six to, players per team i mean yeah yeah for sure so I, I i mean like i said i should probably know the situation on that but i don't so i'm gonna have to check on that uh, as that massively affects the player pool especially when you know maybe not snap of your fingers but some guy can go from four or five to relevant in like three or four months these days uh yep. given their talent and, and how committed they are how much court time uh they're putting in and where you're where you're able to like howells for example he's he, you know training in training in delray and boca like you're around such good practice that it doesn't take it's not doesn't take that long if you're able to get in those groups yeah, just like say someone, you know, I think this is more of a known commodity, but say someone like Jack Monroe. I, I know I know he has a lot of talent and he's playing with Thomas and Deckel and these these guys almost every day, if not almost every, almost every day, if not every day. If, if you think someone like that, even though he's been playing for a while, that has athletic talent and is playing with literally top 10, top 15 players every single day, if you think he can't make a leap or a jump, into a very prominent draft position, you're 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 absolutely crazy. Jack Monroe is the reigning English Open champion. Boom. That, that what what about Louis Laville? No, Jack I stole mean, Jack stole that title. Jack. Jack stole that title. I don't know. I ran that's I, I will randomly see him do some crazy stuff on Instagram. So uh he just kind of pops up and, and does some you know, some athletic shot or move that I have never even considered doing in my entire career. So uh, it's cool. I like it. But it's uh, it's also, yeah, it's a, you know, blessing and the curse. When you're blessed with that much talent and ability, you can have too many options, right? And I too think many. that's... The, the dreaded... <laughs> never, I don't have suffered. that issue. <laughs> <laughs> not an issue at all. Just, uh, oh, I could have done this. No, actually, I could not have done that. I, I, I'm just going to go ahead and bunt that ball back and play and see what happens. All right. <laughs> let somebody else do something athletic with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah let, let's let someone else do something special. That's for sure. Um, uh, okay. But let's... Uh, I've already brought up the PPA this past weekend uh, a few times as I was there doing commentary. And it was, uh, it was a cool vibe. Uh, you know, sh very short break, a uh, month at the most, maybe three weeks for some players. Uh, but there, there was there was some energy and some uh, just maybe a little more happiness amongst the player pool uh, for the first event of the year. And some really uh, interesting factors that we don't see at these standard tournaments. We got a different serve and some serve rules. We have no devices on the sideline. You have, you know, some of the tennis players, uh, the main two that they're focusing on is Sock and Jeannie Bouchard, even though Donald Young looked pretty solid in, in, in a couple of his matches and his results. I know I'm missing something else, uh, but 
what do you think? Uh, did you watch anything at all? Or what do you think about a handful of these new rules that were uh, trying out uh, on the PPA tour? Yeah, I think, yeah, I'm curious on your take on a lot of it actually being there and kind of hearing the buzz around it. But so you said no devices that I didn't, I didn't realize that. So you're not allowed to have like a phone on the, like at your bench. Correct. So phone, Apple watch, any of that is, is all, it's all a no go. So I saw, uh, I saw, I saw Leia during singles go over to the bench and like, I I believe that is, uh, I believe that's just sugar, uh, sugar situation. So she checks, yeah, she checks her phone to to check on her levels. Me so too. I, I of course, <laughs> so I of course would imagine that that is a, a special situation and a special circumstance that's yeah, okay for yeah, her. Yeah. So no, that makes, that I, I did, sense. I did also see that uh, from her. And then of course, we, I mean, we have a new ball, which is a massive deal. Um, and I, I would say maybe maybe a couple mixed reviews from the ball, but I, I think overall it was. It was not as bad as some people would think, given pro players don't like change. So uh, uh, I think there was possibly some some talk about it getting out around too quickly. But in terms of ball flight, overall playability, you know, it wasn't players storming off the court and being upset about it. So uh, I like the color and uh, I think some similarities uh, to the Dura as well. So I think overall the ball was maybe neutral or slightly positive. Uh, but of course, uh, when you're talking about players and superstitions and things like this, it's it's easy to blame outside things for player performance. So I have no, no doubt that there was a handful of players talking smack about the ball, uh, whether that's real or an excuse for what went on between the lines. Yeah, but I, like I said in my tweet, I think – when you're a PPA player getting paid these PPA contracts, you just shut up and play. You play with whatever <laughs> they, you play with whatever ball they put in front of you, right? Yeah, like, I mean that's true. You know, true. I don't. I think I heard Vulcan deal like two point five million. I, I I don't know the number. I just that's I saw that somewhere. Um, but if that's the case, uh, you know that's that's paying for your salaries, folks. Just just suck it up and play with it. Literally. That's yeah. paying for your salaries. So, uh, yeah. So I, I think that that uh, now there was there was some stuff on the on the serve rule. And from what I saw is there was uh, quite a few players who maybe it affected a little bit. Maybe it was about the same. And then there was some players that you could definitely see that paddle head speed and, and the whip through the ball was not quite what it was with the previous rules. So, uh and it, it it was called some, not often, but it was called some on, on the on the drop or the toss or the downward trajectory of the ball uh, below uh, kind of a, a point on your body, hip, waist. There was some controversy about that too. But it, I, I don't think it really affected too much out there as some people think it was going to be a drastic change. Yeah, it... Uh... I just saw I saw it called a couple weird times. Like I think I saw one called on Jack where he, I mean, he's like blatantly, like he his arm straight down, like his left arm where he's holding the ball is basically straight down, mm-hmm. um, and he's making contact like probably close to his knees if not below, and 
Um, I saw one, he just like, he released it with his hand a little bit sideways and they called it. But like the, the purpose of the rule is that you're making contact low, lower, right? Like you're not able to hit up or toss up and hit it, you know, that subjective waist area. So if you're holding it that low, even if you hold it, even if you'd kind of drop it sideways, it's like just the purpose of the rules to, you know, not make the serve a huge advantage. So just don't call that. So yeah, again, it's again, it's just very subjective. So right. let's remove the subjectivity and figure out a way to just make it objective, which, you know, big bounce serve guy over here. Bounce serve. <laughs> you know, I'm, Drop I serve. think you, tweet, you tweeted something about that as well. But yeah, su subjective is tough. And uh, yeah, no, I, I would, I mean, just, and I, I was thinking, because of course, uh, Deckel and Tyson played together and they both have pretty big serves. But yep. just think, just think the difference in waist. So we, we could be talking, I mean, I don't know what it is. Tyson's around 5'10", Deckel's around 6'2", 6'3". But I mean, that's, I mean, a couple inches just from where your waist is, is, you know, that's, that's a pretty big difference, actually. So, uh, <laughs> uh what, what, what are you, what, what are you laughing about, Rob? I mean, I just, I mean, it is a big deal. <laughs> we'll just, we'll just, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, yeah, you can hit it harder. You can hit it harder. You can hit it harder. Uh, Deeper. So, and, and I mean, I, I didn't, I couldn't notice anything from James Ignatowicz's serve. He was yeah. just peppering them in there like like it was another day at the office. I, I don't think yeah. the, the 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 rule affected him at all, and I do think it affected Tyson. I just do. So yeah, I know. Well, I, I'm I, and I, and I'm even I'm not even necessarily talking about how often it gets called on you. It's more just that mental lead up and, and kind of pulling back a little bit on, on your serve and not getting that same rotation uh, uh, spin and power, uh, and of course depth and singles on your yeah. serve, Rob. It's a big deal. is is a big deal and you love to talk about that hey you gotta hit it you gotta, gotta hit, hit it. it gotta hit it so we had uh we had uh Jeannie Bouchard out there why are you uh, laughing at him well it just didn't look like she played a lot of pickle leading up to no. the tournament you know a uh, little quite a few newbie things that get corrected pretty quickly had not been corrected from her mm -hmm. so court time lacking but I did see her after getting knocked out of the tournament. I was this the uh, the afternoon session of commentary with Dave Fleming. She was out on court with Dave for a couple hours each day, kind of getting some touches. And I think someone, I mean, I, I believe that she's dating the son of Christy Blink Brinkley and Billy Joel. So she is running in heavy social circles. So to see her kind of, you know, not have a, a great play on court and then come out the next two days for a couple hours and work on her game makes me think that there's a good chance she's going to kind of go for it and try to get better. Cause I could have seen her just go get whooped up on and just say, screw this. I'm not doing this anymore, but it looked like she was making an effort to, to get some reps and improve her game, which, which is good in my opinion. Unless you contractually had to be there for X amount of days. Well, well, she maybe she did. May, well, maybe she she didn't have to get on court and practice though. She could have just sat on the sidelines or just showed up to the venue for a couple hours. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Big props to her for really digging in and pushing herself. <laughs> All right, let's uh, other side of the coin here, Jack Jack Sock. Uh, yeah. You know, maybe not the full on 
total court time that he needs to be a high-end professional pickleball player, but he has played plenty of pickle before this tournament. It showed uh, tons of talent out there, made some nice run, beating some very quality players and singles, and looked fine in doubles. Maybe we'll say solid but unspectacular uh, on the doubles court once he got to play some of the you know top six top eight seeds uh deeper into the doubles tournament did you get to see him play and what do you think about his game yeah well i watched most of it i think i think singles super impressive at like to beat connor um i, I think there's some nerves for these guys right connor jay uh just playing jack sock even though it's pickleball it's like you know if if connor didn't play well i think he'd probably tell you that but um, really impressive stuff from Jack and singles. And it just shows that I think, you know, any given week that he's going to be competing for a singles title right out of the gate, which, you know, his, you know, he's six, three, he moves like he moves better than anybody else on, on tour already. Uh, so to have that coverage in singles and to have that forehand, I mean, he's, he's always going to be dangerous uh, doubles. I mean, I think that translates to what we always see in mixed, right? It's like, you know, he's got a, he's got a whippy forehand and he can, he can just start cracking it at the female and crash and clean stuff up. And yeah, I mean, that work, that works to a certain level and obviously it worked with AL in in North Carolina, but um, yeah, just, just missing some of the key components of just the, the, the mid court, the softness, the consistency, and I think once he dials that stuff in and understands strategy a little bit more, that he's going to be <clears throat> really dangerous. Yeah, and and I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I understand they've transitioned over Connor Garnett, uh, Jay Devillier. These, I mean, quality tennis players that are now pickleball players. But it, it absolutely was a mental factor out there playing Jack Sock. They know who he is. They put in their 10 12, 15,000 hours of tennis. So of course they have respect to someone who has gotten to the top of the game or close to it. Uh, and I think that that was a big factor mentally, especially in the singles matches. And Jack, he's, he's a showman out there. And he is also someone who is very confident, has a lot of swag and is trying to get in the heads of, of, of these players. I think it's part of the package that he brings to the table. Yeah. Uh, just the fact that kind of getting smoked by, by Riley and Thomas, he, he was talking until the very end in that match. Uh, and I talked to Thomas afterwards and he was just like, yeah, man, he is, he, he is definitely very confident. And he, he was barking when they were down nine one. So uh, I think that that is actually a cool aspect of it. And something yeah. that, that some of these, uh, pickleball guys are going to have to get used to as uh, I, I don't see Jack's mouth slowing down uh, whatsoever on the PPA tour, especially yep. as the results start to get inch forward uh, on the double score. And they've already kind of been there on the singles, making it a semifinal first event of the year. Yeah. What I like is you could tell, you could tell he's having fun, right? Like this is, this is kind of his, um, you know, post, this is his retirement, like fun gig. And he's making good money and he's getting to play pickleball and you can't like he's, you know, he obviously wants to win. He's competitive, but he's not taking it too seriously and he's just having a good time. And that's, you know, I think that's, sh that shines through and the fans feel it and it just makes it a very fun, lively atmosphere. So I think we need way more of that. Um, just it's well, it, again, it's pickleball. 
pick him. Well, if he's gonna if he's gonna run if he wants to run deep in all three events, he might need to take it a little bit more seriously. And I have no idea. I didn't talk to him, but I think I think he was fairly sore, stiff against Fed. Uh, yeah. I mean, guy just had a baby. I don't I don't think he's out there, you know, running wind sprints like Christian Alshon, you know, in his off time. So. Uh, it, it, yeah, if <laughs> I, I, I don't care what anyone says about it, it's what is it 20 by 44 on the dimensions of the pickleball court. If you're playing singles, that is a grind, lots of bending, lots of lunging, uh, lots of explosive uh, movement. So, uh, yeah, you, you, you got to be in good shape. And, uh, I think that that's just every single day that goes by, it's more and more of a factor for these players. Yeah, I didn't see the I didn't see the sock Fed match. What did I, I saw? It was a beating. What what happened with that one? How did Fed pick him up? Fed hard? just literally did not miss his on was it, his was inside it drops or, or drops. Uh, or his uh, Fed's inside out forehand was cooking. Uh, at least like early, like dropping or passing, passing, passing. Okay. So and sock sock just didn't play clean. So it was uh, and I I was uh, I had a little break and I was eating a sandwich and I was watching the Federico Colin Schick match. And Fed, I mean, he did not miss a ball. Like, and, and I'm not talking about just pushing the ball back and play. <laughs> he's he's ripping through. He's rolling drops, and and he really didn't miss a ball against Colin Schick. It was a very tough match there. So when when I found out that uh, Dylan Frazier had beaten Fed in the finals, I was shocked because Fed played great against Sock, great against Schick, and just looked like he was untouchable. So. Uh, to for for I believe it was nine three fed in game three and yeah. Dylan Frazier came back and let's let's talk about the babyest of Dills for a little bit. I mean the man beats J.W. Johnson in straights, Tyson McGuffin in straights. He beats Kwong Duong and then Federico Stackstrud, who's playing as well as I've ever seen him for a a, a non tennis player. What a run for that man! Yeah, and I think a big difference from what I've like when I've seen him play singles in the past to singles now is like Eric Lang said in, on Twitter, it's dude's got a dude's got a sick two-handed backhand now that he's getting angles on. He he's he's hitting passes on his backhand, which is this is the first tournament where I've actually seen him do that consistently and successfully. And it just it, it adds such a, another element of what you have to cover of what you think he can do. He could always drive a backhand on the line, but to get it to to get it to dip cross court, now you got to cover that, or you're thinking about that. It just it adds another layer where you're like, oh no. So yeah, and, and good good for him because he's been working on that for a year or two. So uh, and I think you're exactly right. Maybe you have one spot that you can flatten it out to uh, early on when you're working on that shot, but to have a little bit of variety uh, to to whip through and then possibly take some pace off and go for more spin to line or cross court is I think maybe a year or two ago, that's a luxury. And now it's almost a requirement. If you want to be in the top 10 men, uh, uh, Jack sock as well. Didn't really have a great one or it's, it's almost like his went from eh to not too bad in the course of a tournament, his two handed backhand on the singles court. Yeah. So, uh, almost a requirement and wasn't always like that. No. And I think, you know, I think Dill, Dill even said, he's like, yeah, the toughest part for singles with me not having a tennis background is, is passing shots. And, 
And he's like, usually I like to play cat and mouse. He's had this in an interview. Usually I could play cat and mouse, but you know, not so much today and yeah. didn't need to, cause he was just hitting clean passes left and right. And his forehand's interesting too, his forehand pass, because it's kind of, it's not like a typical stroke where you're looping and then it's not so good. It's a little bit jerkier, mm -hmm. which also is challenging to read because he can, it's like, it's like his forehand flick off the bounce from the kitchen. He can disguise it and go different spots. It's, it's not so different from the baseline on his actually forehand drive. Like he can, he can kind of hold it a little bit, even from the baseline and take it line or cross court. So I think, yeah. And obviously he's one of the best movers in the game, I think in terms of his court coverage and which is really probably the most impressive part for me um, watching him play singles is I think for most tennis guys that come over to play singles, probably your number one attribute outside of your ground strokes is your court awareness and how to cover and how to like read, read where your opponent is versus like the shot he can hit from that position. And Dylan didn't get any of that, you know, from, from tennis. It's all, it's all situational based on pickleball. So for him to cover as well as he does and anticipate as well as he does is probably the thing that I'm most impressed with, with his singles game anyways. Yeah, no, I, I think that's well said. And if, and I think really think that 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 Selkirk 002 is such a big deal. I talked about it with his doubles game and getting that extra pop, but he does not have the loop like you talked about. And the 002 allows him to get the pace that he needs to while having the deception. The deception is so important. And I think Dylan can go to the spots with the forehand, but I also think his inside out forehand has gotten much better recently. He has always had the cross court and say in doubles when he's right side, he always goes, he is so good at going at that right hip of the left side player in front of him. And that's more of a hook or a curl. And, and now that he's able to push it uh, inside out very effectively as well. Uh, I mean, you, you can see in the results, obviously, that the man's uh, playing at a high level. Yeah, that's a, it's a, it's a great result for him. Yeah, great result. Um, and what do we have any other PPA stuff to talk about? Uh, it, the beautiful, beautiful venue, really good stuff. Uh, crowds were uh, uh, filing in. The numbers were good. I, I believe I overheard someone talking, saying from the PPA staff, saying that uh, that is the, the best event in terms of ticket sales. So moving in the right direction. Great first event, uh, quality yeah. stuff. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, just, we could touch on a couple more results. It was speaking of Dill, him and J dub went out to, to Pat Smith, who's, you know, we reignited, a an old flame here with Pat and Jay, which is well, fun to see. They reunited well. and it feels so good. No, I love it. You can, you, you yeah. can tell, uh, Pat, uh, 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 healthy in the lower body, the hips and the knees looking pretty good. Uh, he's always had the heavy hands and the raw power. And Jay uh, also, I think, is a paddle situation uh, has gotten better for him. And he just looked to have a little more life in his hands than, uh, you know, a few months ago. So uh, I know they were down big in that game, too, against the, the kids at 9-2. And it was just a phenomenal comeback. And, you know, for, for a team that is practically making at the end of the year, two out of three championship Sundays and men's doubles, just not something that can happen. Even if your uh, opponents are playing very well to, to squander that nine, two lead in game two, but uh, you got to hand it to the Wichita boys. They, they played well. 
Yeah. I mean, good result. And hopefully, um, yeah, it's just nice. I, I think it goes back to, I've got a strong belief in, in men's doubles anyways, all doubles mixed to that the longstanding partnerships are the only way to stay consistently on the podium. Like, you know, Riley got a podium here, but you know, he hasn't been a mainstay in terms of, in terms of the second half of last year. Um, whereas before that he was, he was always on with Matt. So I think I, I, you look at Pablo and fed, you know, I think the long, the long running partnerships lends itself to, to better results, more consistent results. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Uh, and that's why, um, you know, everyone loves it when I, apparently they do a drinking game when I'm in the commentary booth, how many times I bring up Deckel. But uh, Deckel had a, he, he had a merry-go-round of partners and he's got the most like solid, established, good energy partner right now in Tyson McGuffin. So I, I hope that they can do uh, a, a bit of damage this year and possibly sneak onto some podiums, maybe make a, you know, a handful of championship Sundays. Don't know if that'll happen, but he's solidified now. And, and I agree with you. I, I, I just think, of course, every single tournament, every single week that goes by the edges are tighter and tighter physically. We always talk about finding a way to, to get some value to your team and, and being in a consistent partnership and knowing what your partner is going to do is a great way to do that. Yeah. No, totally agree. And hey, let's shift it over to the ladies yeah. here. Uh, yeah. Rora Bacher and Anna Bright, man, they're uh, they're playing some ball. They are just rolling everything, lots of power. They almost look like carbon copies of each other with their type of stroke. But I am very impressed uh, with what they did and, and kind of their game style. And I also think uh, uh, Megan Dazan and, and Edda Wright looked pretty good in their matches as well. Edda looked like she had some extra spring in her step. She was kind of in and out of tournaments at the end of 2023. So uh, that would be great if we have a couple teams that can, you know, I know they didn't win against CP and Anna Lee, but they were in a reasonable position and the level of, of points was at a very high level. Yeah, it was, it was fun to watch. It was fun to watch all of them, I think. Yeah, I was really impressed with Megan. I think her midcourt game and soft stuff has gotten so much better. She's always had really insane raw power on the on the women's side, but um, would just make some errors here and there, you know. And now it's clean that up, and she's playing super clean. And her and Etta will be – I mean, they're going to be a tough out in any tournament if they keep playing together. Yeah, and so, I mean, length is great for leverage and power. But if you can keep the hands soft, it's great for the midcourt and the back of the court as well. So they're that that's a that's a physically imposing team. They're they're both standing around 510, a lot of length, a lot of power. And there's absolute reason to believe that in their raw tools that they could that they could make a push to to possibly uh challenge Anna Lee and and uh and CP. And you know, that's what everyone wants. I, I don't I don't want anyone to lose or have bad runs but if you got three or four or five teams that that can beat anyone at any moment that's that's just better for everyone involved and the makes the the viewing uh yeah just just better yeah we don't talk a ton about the dominance of of players but i mean just because you know it's repetitive and it's but dude anna lee another triple crown is just <laughs> wild stuff man it's wild and i just 
I, I think the gap's getting smaller, which is also which is also making it that much more impressive as well because um, she's a competitor, man. She's 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 you know for for being that age and for seeing some of the some of the you know quote unquote you know tough times that she's had when she's lost. Like it doesn't happen that often, and like to to pull out some of the wins she pulls out, it's impressive. She's a tough competitor, and <laughs> winning all three events, dude. I don't I don't. I don't care if I don't. Yeah. It's just hard. It's just hard. No matter how much better you are than everybody else. Anyways, it's still hard. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think the mental toughness, I mean, she honestly might be the best defensive player, the best offensive player and the most mentally tough player on tour. And it, of course yeah. you, you talk about her partner, uh, Catherine, who is as consistent as they come. She never misses incredible defense, uh, you know, maybe not the firepower of some of the other ladies, but an absolute rock. I think Annalise better at her than defense. Like she, yeah. she, there yeah. is, there is no holes. There, there is no holes. There is nothing. I don't care if it's uh, uh forehand, backhand, mid court, back of the court, kitchen line. There, there is no weaknesses in Annalise game. And uh, I mean, obviously that shows in the results, uh, especially in women's doubles. I think it's something I've seen like 54 or 55 and oh, whatever the hell it is. Yeah um yeah impressive stuff it's insane you know we'll see how many triple crowns she gets this year but um i i'm not betting against it I'll tell you that <laughs> no i think what i think i saw a line uh 12 and a half the line is 12 and a half uh triple crowns for anna lee in the 2024 season and i guess how many events exact event she plays of the 25 ppas is is a big factor on that line but a wild that the line being set is double di over double she, digits for if she play count. if she plays 25 i'm definitely going over you know oh that's that's easy money if she if she plays definitely 25. going over i mean yeah. it might it might be over if she plays 16 jeez i mean <laughs> come on i mean it's 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 totally ridiculous and uh yeah. just i mean you you can't you can't unsee it it's just too good yeah uh, last couple points here, Adam, because okay. I think they're I think they're important, and I've I've, I've posted a little bit, a bit about them on Twitter, uh, and I, I think a great comparison right now for for Major League Pickleball and even the PPA is is the National Women's Soccer League, which is a uh, you know it's a professional women's soccer league in the U.S. and they just they're, they're getting real money they got a 240 million dollar media rights deal uh combined with a few different networks i believe cbs and a couple others um that's six you know 60 million dollars a year and okay. office sports who i believe you know jason stein is a part of either either board member or founder i'm not sure but they posted that the most lucrative lucrative contract and that league history was just signed um after that 60 million dollar a year deal was announced and that contract is worth 2.5 million dollars over five years meaning each year it's a five hundred thousand dollar contract so the fact that we have i would guess 10 plus players over the 500k mark for a league and sport that has no media rights still and not a ton of revenue mm. is bonkers, 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 bonkers. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't quite add up. And that's 
I think even more than the numbers that you stated, it's the fact that it's post signing the media rights deal. And how I understand it, I think, is that is the end goal of pickleball is to get one of those deals. And we're already throwing out wild numbers before that. Uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not great at this stuff. I don't really know how the business side, uh, you know, I'm not as locked in as maybe I should be, but yeah, the, I, I know numbers and I can, I'm pretty good at mental math and that doesn't quite add up uh, from where I'm sitting. Yeah. And obviously I think, you know, there's, you're, you're talking about a lot more players in women's mm -hmm. soccer. Sure. Teams, sure. Dilu cetera, diluted. Yeah. Diluted. Um, but I think, I think that's a, that's a fair, that's a fair and reasonable contract for, yeah, I mean, I, let's be honest, I think it's probably high. I think, I think the top contract in our sport right now should be probably 250 K. You know, I think, I think the vast majority of players, you know, that were signed should be sub hundred K, you know, they should, if we're even talking about salaries, right. I think if you have a tour, which the PP has a tour, you're signing all these players to guaranteed money, basically salaries. And uh, I don't know many other tours that have guaranteed money. You just play for prize money. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a weird world we're, we're living in. I think the salaries make sense. If you're the league model, if you're MLP, that makes sense. I get it. Um, that's what it should be. But for the tour stuff, salaries are just strange, but regardless, I think, I think it's all too high. I think if, I think what we should do is blank canvas it. Let's get realistic. Let's get those, you know, the top 10. You guys are going to hate to hear it. I know. Yeah, right. You want to hear people crying and yelling yeah. and screaming. Come on. That, that's the way to do it. But um, let's get realistic. You guys aren't, you're not worth that right now. I'm not. No, but no, none of us are. It's, it's, we're not. There's no money being generated. Outside right. of like paddle cells and like am on the amateur side, but um, we got to bring it back to reality. Got to bring it back yeah, to reality. And, and the people like me and the people that have lower contracts than me, like we're, we're I don't want to say we're not the problem. I'm probably, you know, in the whole grand scheme of things, I think my contract's probably pretty market rate right now. Um, I think. I think the top 10, top 15, et cetera, are the ones that are way overblown and the ones that are really costing us, you know, the, the true viability of the future of the sport. Yeah. And I, th I think really the, the biggest disconnect maybe value and contract is kind of the heart of that, like ranked 10 to 25, you know? So like maybe yeah. the, the, even though it's kind of wild numbers, those top couple that, that, you know, at least they are the faces, the ones making deep runs, the ones that are always on the live stream, but there, there's quite a few players that are, you know, middling at best and uh, rarely making uh, later stages of tournaments and getting a pretty penny. So uh, yeah. it does, it does seem wild. And if you think, if you think of where the revenue is coming from, the revenue is coming from, balls and paddles and gear and that's where it's coming from it's not from ticket sales and whatever else so if if we're talking a standard pro pickleballs pl uh, players where their money is coming from it makes a lot of sense that 15 20 25 percent of that money is coming from salary and the heart of their money is coming from endorsement deals and paddle contracts 
uh, because yeah. that's where the actual revenue is. And, and, and that makes more sense to me. Uh, so it's, yeah, I mean, it's got to, something's got to give at some point. Uh, I, I don't know if we're right exactly there or, or not, but it, the numbers, the numbers just don't add up, buddy. Yeah. And I mean, it's not to say you can't float the money, right? Like, which is obviously what they're trying to do. They're trying to float the money, float the salaries and, mm-hmm. you know, in hopes of you know, probably doing it backwards, right? And hopes of getting the media rights deal versus, <laughs> versus getting the media rights deal first and then, and then having the cash for the salaries. But not to say it can't work. It's just um, uh, get that sales team to work on the media deal, guys. Yeah, man. What Jason Stein? Where Where is this guy? He's everywhere. I mean, I was. I mean, he's in MLP. He's in the. He's in the Northwest Soccer League. I didn't even know about. I had uh, some wine and some truffles at his restaurant in New York. I mean, this dude's just dipping his toe in everything. He really is. I don't know if he's in Northwest Soccer or. Uh, oh, I, I thought that's was, what you said. No, front office sports. He's involved with that, and they posted oh, okay. that article. But um, yeah, just interesting stuff. Let's finish off, Adam, because I know this is. I know people like this. Uh-huh. How can how can a how can a player get better today when they go play rec? So what you you made a little post. You were talking about you're you're only allowed to hit hard if you hit down on the ball. Yeah, no, uh, atta- your, no attack. Yeah, no attacks unless you're hitting the ball from above the net and you can hit down on it. It's just a good uh, restraint, like training tool. Yeah, like no, to no, 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 definitely. See, that's just see that's something that's just so easy for me. And I, I heard a bunch of people uh, respond to your comments saying that it's it's easy Impossible. in theory, yeah. and, <laughs> and then you get out there and it just doesn't quite work out. So I so I will say this, and I, I think we've mentioned this on a previous episode. So for me. I'm going to go with a don't worry about winning rec hit two thirds to the stronger player in rec. Now you can't just completely freeze out the guy. We want everyone to get some touches in rec, but I say it must be above 50%. If you were playing a lopsided team in rec pickleball, even if you lose because of it, play over 50%, more like 66% to the more talented player in rec. It is, I, I man, some of these people are just so obsessed with winning that it really delays their development and their rec play and uh, the situations they get into. Try to not worry as much about winning and worry about getting better, especially if you're a tournament player. Do the winning in the tournament, not in the practice leading up to it. Yeah, and I think it's 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 so good, Adam. I love that one. And I think, I think, what some of the players are because I, I play in these groups. I play in groups with three other players that aren't that aren't pro level often because I, I haven't had that good of practice. So, um, well, I think what the opponents are often worried about is that if they hit to me, I'm going to attack everything and flick. And when all I actually want to do is just like work on being solid, making a bunch of dinks, having extended longer points. So like if you're playing to the stronger player and if you are the stronger player work on, of course you can beat weaker players with your attacks. That's use Like you're not, you're not proving anything. You're not solving anything for that. Work on, work on getting good touches, you know, movement, solid dinks, extending the points. And then, and they also be less afraid to hit to you because you're not just right. pulling everything. Right. And that's a good note for as the best player, Notice if you are getting a good chunk of the balls, uh, 
you don't have to speed up everything, but it really makes you want to when you're getting 10% of the shots to go for it. Yeah. So it all it, it's all a balance. So if if everyone is playing their role, whether you're the worst player on the court or the best player on the court for a rec practice situation, if one person doesn't do the role right, it kind of goes to shit. And mm -hmm. if everyone is kind of committed to playing a certain way, pushing the ball uh, to the right amount of frequencies, to the right amount of players with the right shot – everything flows better and everyone gets more out of it. Yeah. hundred percent. That's a phenomenal tip. That's, 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 you should copy. Hey, right hey, Rob, hey, Rob, talk, talk for, talk for 30. I think we're minutes. good, dude. I think we're good. 59. I'm about, to, I'm about to go grab this baby. Oh yeah. The baby, the baby hasn't been on. We need the baby on. Here we go. We need the baby on. Let's go baby time. Little AJ, this is going to be a treat. We have not had an, a little AJ appearance in quite a while. And I know, well, I don't know, but allegedly babies grow pretty quick. And this is my little running monologue about babies, which I have no experience in. But very excited to see little AJ here. And stream of consciousness running out. Thank you, Adam. You saved me. <laughs> Oh my boy. gosh, dude! I said I said they grow fast, and this looks like a. This doesn't look like an infant anymore. It looks like a three-year-old. Look at this guy. So is that cute. not the sweetest thing you've ever seen, right there, Bubby? Oh, dude, wide-eyed, just bushy tail. That's some. That's some blonde, blonde hair. It's no, it's no oh, surprise, yeah. I guess. But it's. I guess it's your kid. Hey, this. Hey, it's been. It's been ten seconds. He's already about to start freaking out. You take it away, buddy. All right. I hope. I hope he poops on you right now. All right. I never say this, but this feels like not that I have the opportunity to say is one shout out to Selkirk for sponsoring the show, for supporting Adam and I, for supporting the podcast. Thank you to the Dink for publishing our podcast. Couldn't do it without you guys because all we do is talk and then send it off to you and you do all the other beautiful stuff to to get this live. And what I also don't ever say is like subscribe comment on this video if you're on youtube if you're on audio platform leave us a lovely five-star review if you want it can be four star three it can be one star maybe you hate us it's fine too i don't, don't care about that either but but saying something's better than saying nothing i think I, I, okay i just i'm done adam you're back done good bye bye because you know why why? Because it feels right. It feels right. Legendary. Yeah.